Welcome back. I'm excited to have Sam Parr on the show this week. I've been following his newsletter for a while, and when I saw on Twitter that he wanted to do more podcasts, I jumped at the opportunity. Sam is the founder and CEO of The Hustle, a California media company. If it sounds familiar, they're most known for their tech and business newsletter, The Hustle and Trends. We have a special deal for our listeners actually this week. If you sign up for Trends, enter the code HEALTHY, all lowercase, and you'll get a special discount. Before the episode gets rolling, subscribe and share with a friend. Enjoy. Sam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So I've been following Trends and the Hustle for probably the past six months or so. I'd be curious, what was kind of the original problem you wanted to solve with the Hustle? Yeah, with the Hustle, you know, like now now when I start things or invest in things, I definitely look at what problem are you solving Mm -hmm. But for, for the customer. But for the Hustle... So I created HustleCon, our conference, and I, the way that I made it popular was through a, an email newsletter I made. And so the problem I was solving for myself was, how can I get more people to come to this event? But I never thought, I mean, I didn't think about the customer first, actually, which is not the right thing to do. <laughs> and then we changed HustleCon, like we morphed it, the business to become media focused. And so it was, let's do this daily email, we'll call it the hustle. And I didn't think about them at all, actually. I just thought, what do I want to do? And I got lucky that a lot of people liked it. Now, that my mentality was that, but the reality is, is the problem that we were solving for our customers, our readers, is that they wanted to know bullshit-free information, business news. They wanted it fast, and they wanted a, a trustworthy source. And that's the problem we solved. But when we launched, it was kind of selfish. It was, what do I want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that worked out. And as far as trends, since that's that was probably more focused on solving a problem. Yeah, so trends actually, that was again a problem that I had, which was when we started the hustle, the plan early on was let's create this massive audience and then let's learn about our audience and create different products and services for them. And I was researching which products we should launch and we launched a few as tests. And I kind of created the systematic way of doing research and I would create all these spreadsheets and I would analyze these companies and I would send them to people and they were like, oh, this is fantastic. You've just done all the research for me and told me how this business works. And I would do it for my team. And then I started sharing it with friends. And they were like, oh, hey, this is great. Can you go and analyze this business for me? And then I was like, wait a minute. This should be the product that we're going to launch to the audience. And so I created this really simple sales page. And over the weekend, like thousands of dollars worth of customers signed up. And then it was like, okay, this is the way to go. So that's why we did it. Very nice. I don't know if you've ever shared kind of what you were looking at in that analysis, but can you give us some highlights there? So um, with trends, so the way that our the way that we're going about this is we're analyzing lots of different industries and businesses, and then we're, when we expand, we're going to focus on industry specific, like specific industries, and we'll do research on those. But the trends at its current iteration, it's quite a wide spectrum, and it's just businesses that you could start in fast-growing trends. So the things that I looked for when I was doing it was a, a few things. The first is, what do I have fun doing? And the way that I figured out what I would have fun doing is I would read a lot of different ideas and be like, all right, what, what's enjoyable? The second thing is, I wanted to catch... like It doesn't have to be a trend in like a fad, 
but I wanted to catch something that was trending upwards because the idea is you can launch. I mean, I think you can build a biz, a big business in most industries, but it's certainly a lot easier if you catch a wave, if you catch mm-hmm. a tidal wave, you know, like if you were creating a Bitcoin product in 2012, it doesn't matter if your product sucked, not 2012, maybe 2015. It doesn't matter how bad your product sucked. People needed it so badly that they were willing to use an inferior product. So that was inherently a much easier market to launch in. And so I like to look at fast growing trends. The third thing I like to look for is I like to look for some type of validating principle. So like, you know, a lot of people say when you launch your startup, you need some type of validation early on. And I agree with that, but I can find validation elsewhere. So I can look at like, like I don't need validation that people want laptops because I already know that loads of people buy laptops. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I would find lots of little ways uh, that I can validate it. And the fourth thing that I would always look at is different business models. So a lot of companies sell similar products, but if you package it differently or have a slightly different business model, the business can capture a whole lot more value on the back end and continue providing uh, new products and services to the customer. So for example, a subscription-based news website versus an ad-based news website. It could actually be similar information, but packaged a little bit differently and the business can capture more value that way. And so I like looking at different business models that are interesting and can work better versus another one. Yeah, very interesting. Do you think when you started the hustle that you guys rode the wave of any major trends looking back at it now? Yeah, we got lucky. (laughs) Um, Email was growing. I mean, it wasn't growing, but email newsletters were considered where people were not taking them seriously, but they slowly started to. If we started the business now, it would it would cost us probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 million dollars to kind of get to where we are now, whereas we did not start with 10 or 15 million dollars. We bootstrapped the company. And so that would be much harder to do right now. We did hmm. we we definitely caught that trend. Yeah, and along the lines of validation, what were some of the early signs outside of signups and natural things like that that you knew you were on to something? Uh really just what the feedback was from early customers. I mean, when I am kind of getting going early on, I don't really do like surveys or anything like that. I can pretty much just talk to 10 people and understand did I hit it or not. It's kind of a, it's, it's as much art as it is science. And so like when we first launched, we were actually had a blog that we blogged a lot on when we first launched. And within our first month, we maybe had a million people come to the website. And so the numbers definitely validated it. But I would just kind of follow my gut and talk to customers and hear what they had to say. Yeah, that that makes total sense. I mean, for somebody that's putting content out there that maybe has not seen that level of success right off the bat, any tips for, I guess, gaining some momentum from, call it a few hundred to that first thousand, first few thousand? Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll say something that a lot of people probably this is going to burst a lot of bubbles. I think, which is I think a lot of people just aren't talented at it. You know, like creating mm-hmm. content. Some people can get really skilled at it, and some people are just talented. Like, just like any other yeah, thing, like any sports. Coding, like, yeah, yeah, sports coding. Like you can learn a bit, but then you can also just be like, well, my my max potential just isn't quite high, and so most people just talented at this just like any other there's like a normal bell curve but for the people who do maybe who do have some talent but they want to sharpen their skills i would say you have to stick out and i think that one of the reasons one of the things that a lot of people do 
is let's say they're writing blog posts. They write blog posts that they think, like they write it in such a way that they think they have to create. And I always thought that was nonsense. I think that you should write like you speak. And if you can tell a compelling story using just your voice and in the conversation, your writing should be like that. And I think that a lot of people overthink their writing and that they um, they read the sentences over and over to make sure it mm-hmm. sounds perfect. And in my head, I'm like, man, you should just start churning that stuff out and you'll get in the habit. They also shouldn't like you don't have to use too formal language. Like you got to you have to write like you speak. And I think a lot of people have fear when they're creating content and that they 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 think that it's almost like the difference between a Facebook page and a LinkedIn page. Like your LinkedIn page, you use words like insure or like, analyze. Uh, yeah, use. Yeah, it's like I corporate analyze. speak. I, yeah, it's like no, don't don't do that. That's not how you speak in real life. And I think, but a lot of people tend to do that. And I think that's a huge error. Yeah, that's not what I expected you to say. I mean, I guess from a broader. What, what did you ex- what did you expect? That now I'm not really sure what I I thought. Maybe that that everybody can kind of sharpen their skills and things like that. That um, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a good analogy from the sports perspective. That some people are more talented than others. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And there's a lot of things that I've just tried to pick up and it's like, man, I just don't know if I have what it takes. I, I think, but, but I, I do think you can learn it. It's definitely a skill that you can learn. It's just like any other thing though, where you have a maximum amount of potential and maybe it's just like a normal bell curve. But the thing about content is like, if you look at like most people or a lot of people, particularly young people, if you look at their social media, like the average person who's grown up with Instagram they're pretty funny and good on so, on social media, and so I've never I've never been able to figure out why that can't translate over into other types of content. And the only reason I think is because they overthink it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Kind of along the same lines of that is how do you filter out information? I mean, it sounds like you hit on something there that you're you've gotten a lot better at picking what you're more natural at and you think you're going to have success at. I mean, you've got tons of different things thrown your, your way each day. How do you kind of filter that information and what you're going to write about, what you're going to invest in? Well, over the years, you definitely, it's, it, I, I, I have a far less than 100% hit rate. That's for sure. So I miss more often than I get hits probably, but, um, you definitely can see patterns. Like you can see like what type of uh, emotions get shared the most. You know, it's kind of like when you do your podcast, you kind of like, you're like, I, I have a feeling that this episode is going to be a hit. Like you can just kind of, you can kind of guess that a little bit. And so I think it's just through pattern recognition. Okay. A similar question. So you've invested in a number of private companies that you've talked about. Uh, I guess, how did you get started? Is it just a matter of having a network and the capital to invest in those friends? Or uh, could you give some advice on that? Yeah. So regarding capital, that's actually a lot of people would not, or maybe if you're not in the game, you don't realize this, but coming across the capital, that's the easy part. That's not very hard. You can either make money on your own. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make that much money in order to do this stuff. Or you um, can borrow money. I mean, for every person out there, like if you just hang out with, if you can kind of figure out who the wealthy people are and meet them, what you learn is that they are, they, as well as VC firms and other types of investment firms, they're like desperately seeking places to put their money. And so 
for me, the money wasn't the hard part because uh, even though I, I didn't have a lot of money when I started, I, I definitely have accumulated it enough to invest. And it could be as little as like some of these angel checks could be as little as five or 10 grand. Like it doesn't have to be that much. Yeah. The hard part is absolutely the networking and meeting the people who are competent enough to give money to. That is without a doubt the hard part. And I've been fortunate that I live in San Francisco and there's a higher density of people who have big ideas that could become good. I definitely have an unfair advantage in that we have a media company and by default, the nature of our company is like just meet as many people as possible or get as many eyeballs. So that definitely helps. Yeah, that does help. Um, but like if I had a start and I didn't live in San Francisco, I would basically, which is what I do now. I mean, I troll Twitter and I, I just try to come up and see interesting ideas and just cold email the founders of the company and ask to invest. Just based on yeah. it being an interesting company and based on what you've seen from Twitter, their website, things like that. Yeah. And particularly with consumer okay. uh, invest with consumer investing. I mean, it's all just gambling. Like yeah, I have those. no idea. I have <laughs> no, I, I'm up. I've made money on across all of them because I've had a few returns, but I feel as though I bet on good people, but really I just got lucky. I mean, it's like impossible. I, I, I don't understand some of these firms who deploy billions of dollars. It's it's so hard uh, to do that. And I think that what you have to do is you just have to make these massive bets and hope they pay off. But in terms of angel investing, the market right now is so freaking crowded. It's pretty amazing how crowded it is. And uh, it's really hard to find affordable deals at the moment. Every company is valued high. Are you um, are you seeing affordable deals outside of California and call it Texas, Utah, or really any state or just across the board? I definitely think that everything is expensive just because the stock market is booming and everyone and their parents and has $25,000 to invest in some startup. I mean, it's, it's not hard right now to get your hands on ten or fifteen or $25,000 to make a seed investment. And so because of that, yeah, everything, so many things are, are expensive. No, I think it's uh, expensive across the country. I think that uh, my opinion towards angel investing is what I think the, the way to make a lot of money off of it is you have to have like pretty big bets. Like I think I'm at the point now where I'd rather invest like a million dollars in a $3 million valuation than $25,000 across a whole bunch of companies. I'd rather have far more control and far more ownership on and not diversify that much. Interesting. That seems to go against the whole idea of VC investing. No, not all of them. Founders Fund does this. Okay. Like Founders, I don't know how big Founders Fund is. I, I imagine they have many billion dollars in assets, but I, I think they only make five or six deals a year and they'll put a hundred million dollars into it. So I think maybe it goes against a lot of people, but there's a lot of others. I mean, it's not like I made this up. I'm just stealing it from someone smarter than me. Yeah, I absolutely. I think there's a lot of people who do that. Yeah. Personally, I think it's better. I've invested in companies where it's like a cash flow business. I like those. I've invested in companies that have sold for $10 million and I've been able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's been great. But you definitely make the, where the money is, is like trying to find these companies early that raise a, a, a shit ton of money and then eventually sell for a billion dollars. I mean, yeah. I, I, like, I have so many friends that have made millions and millions of dollars that way. But finding those deals are so hard. They're so competitive. And yeah, it's challenging. It's really challenging. You just got to like, it's just like being a salesperson. You just got to be on calls all the time. 
Absolutely. Uh, are you are you angel investing? No, I I am not. Uh, just from an outsider's perspective. So, yeah, I'm ju- I'm just curious in the the topic. So, it's hard. It's definitely challenging. I, I haven't quite cracked that code. Although I have been successful at it, I would say it's mostly been out of out of luck. Interesting to hear that. I mean, somebody in your position with the access to to deal flow being in California still haven't cracked it. But how many years have you been doing it? Three years. Yeah, that's not long at all. So you got plenty of time. Yeah, not long, but definitely fun. It, it's it's absolutely fun. It's way easier making money this way though than starting a company. That's for sure. Like you don't have to do anything other than <laughs> find them. Once you find them, you just give them the money and you don't do anything really. Just a matter of finding them. So yeah, that's hard. So what's got you most excited work wise these days? Anything with the hustle, VC investing, or anything else that you're working on? Yeah. Uh, we launched a podcast called My First Million. It, uh, you know, it's getting millions of downloads and it's going great. We, uh, you, you actually would know this better than I would probably. How many downloads do you think you need per episode to be in the top like ten or fifteen most popular business podcasts? Do you happen to know? Uh, I, I do not. My guess is if I can get our podcast to a hundred thousand downloads an episode and do three episodes a week, I think we could be in the top fifteen. So I'm excited. I'm working on that. You know, we get many tens of thousands of listens, but I'm really trying to focus on getting 100,000. I think it's an interesting thing to crack. We have trends. I think that's going to blow up. I mean, it's doing great, but I think it's going to be quite large. And that's exciting me. And then on the side, I'm I'm really uh, interested in investing in some commercial real estate things, which has which has kind of got me going at the moment. Yeah. How How did you get interested in that? I read biographies of people, just loads and loads of biographies, and they all were investing in real estate. And I thought it was interesting. I also was trying to think of businesses that you could start that don't require a lot of employees. That's um, true. And I think real estate is one of the higher ones that I that I could actually succeed in. And so I got interested in it. I've also um, I rent where I, I I rent where I live, and I've always I, I think buying a home isn't really a great idea. It's not a good financial decision. I understand why people do it because they do it just because they want to. Mm-hmm. But I've never owned a home, and I've always been fascinated with owning land and property. And so I kind of had an emotional connection to it. And so that's why it's kind of exciting to me. Yeah, I like it. I mean, especially with I mean, what does a single family home go for in San Francisco? <laughs> uh, you you can't buy one for less than a million. I mean, uh, well, a home you can't buy a home for less than a million and a half. Like, that's insane. I, I, I rented um, an eight, no, a 700 square foot one bedroom apartment. I was paying $3,500. And the lady, when I asked her about selling it, she wanted $800,000. And it was a, it was a nice modern condo in a unsafe neighborhood surrounded by drug dealers. And it was $800,000. It's crazy here. Yeah, that is insane. Definitely a little more expensive than Fort Worth. Hey, I love Fort Worth. Um, I one of my good friends, Chris Powers, he's down there. Fort Worth sounds awesome. We have an office in Austin, so I, I'm I love Texas. I, I could totally see myself being there. And- We're actually in Chris's building. Oh yeah. Okay. I think. I, sorry. I think you actually told me this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Chris is down there. I like Chris. I like Fort Worth. I'm so envious of you guys. Like I see these. You know, I used to live in Tennessee. I'm from Missouri. I see you guys. Um, like people down in Texas, so I have so much land and do all this, these fun outdoor activities. I'm definitely jealous. Come on out. Uh, I would love to. 
couple more questions around kind of businesses and leveraging community. Why aren't more of them telling their story? Especially you can use an example of commercial real estate or really any established business. Why do you think more aren't kind of leveraging that? What do you mean? Uh, I feel like most are still doing traditional marketing efforts. They're going through a marketing agency. They're not really getting creative and telling their company's story. Or maybe you're seeing a ton of people do that, I guess, from my Dude, I, I think I think people are just afraid. It's the same thing about creating content. They, they're like afraid to look stupid. I think that's really what it comes down to is people are just are just afraid to look silly. And so they just don't even bother in the first place. Because the fact is, is that the first time you put yourself out there, like the first time you guys did this podcast, the first time I did my podcast, like you sound like an idiot. Yeah. Maybe I still, maybe I still sound like an idiot and it's really um, embarrassing. And so I think that it's just, a lot of people are just afraid to do it. Uh, that's my opinion. Or they, they don't realize that telling their story, they think that it's boring, but even bore like a relatively, like it sounds simple, but like a, a kind of a boring story can still be interesting to a lot of people. I mean, look on YouTube, you can find a guy who's setting up a tent and you're like, Oh, let's watch this whole thing. <laughs> So, I mean, I think that people are just afraid. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. What I found to be very helpful is you just don't go re-listen to your podcast episodes. And so... I've never I've never listened to one of my podcasts. Yeah, you and me both. Um, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I'm curious what... Uh, you see tons of different businesses. What do you think are some of the more important skills uh, from a business perspective over the next decade that maybe people aren't focusing on? Controlling your emotions, I think, is the first thing. Um, it's absolutely a skill. It's not, I mean, you could, I did, I was not born with that skill and I really struggled with it. But just figuring out how to, I always think that entrepreneurship is not intellectually that challenging. I mean, like you can make a million dollars a year and not be that intelligent, but just be really emotionally stable because, like, you don't have to be that smart to start like a newsletter like I did or to start a plumbing service or something like that. If you're willing to like balance your emotions and work at it for 10 or 20 years, you could totally succeed. So I think balancing emotions is really important. Um, in my opinion, the second most important skill is to learn how to be a copywriter. I think that using the written word to communicate forces you to think effectively and clearly. And if you can use the written word to sell something, then you for sure can use your the spoken word to sell something. And it also teaches you how to think from a customer's point of view. Really great copywriters become really can, can become really good entrepreneurs because they figure out what sells and what doesn't doesn't, and they can see products that they can sell. I think that when you start a business, you're always selling. Whether you're selling a vision to yourself, to your employees, to customers, you always have to do some type of convincing. And I think the power of persuasion via the written word is incredibly powerful. Yeah, um, I remember looking up. I mean, what resources? did you go to for to get really good at copywriting besides doing it a lot? Yeah. So basically in 2013, I learned about copywriting from this guy named Neville Medora. Neville Medora had a blog called Copywriting Course. He still does. He's Neville was the best. Uh, I, I met Neville through his blog and we became friends. He was the best man at my wedding. I mean, he's, he's become my best friend. He introduced me to it just on his blog because I, I, I just got an ad or something. And so I would say read Neville Medora's blog or take his course. When I bought it at the time, it was $100. It still might be $100. But then that was kind of my gateway drug. And to learn copywriting, I took his course. And then I read loads and loads of books. The best books, I would say, are 
on writing by Stephen King, which yeah. is not about cop, which is not about copywriting, but just writing in general. The second book I would read is uh, "Advertising Secrets of the Written Word" by Joseph Sugarman. The third book I would read is uh, "The Boron Letters" by Gary Halbert. It's it's complete. It's completely free and it's online. And then the action that I took that had the biggest uh, impact was I would find the best selling like the sales letters that were the most um, successful of all time. And I would write them out by hand every single day for like six or 12 months. And that was really effective. It's kind of like, if you want to learn how to play guitar, you don't just like grab a, t- a guitar and start writing your own music. You typically will replicate like a Green Day song or like a Guns N' Roses song. And then you do that for many, many months. And then after a while, you're like, wow, this song that I like has this chord progression. And this other song that I like has a similar chord impression. And all these other songs have this. I kind of understand the patterns that make a great song. I can do that. Now I can write my own music and kind of steal bits and pieces from all of them. That's kind of like what I did with writing. Yeah, I appreciate the recommendations there. I re- I read the Stephen King book. That was great. Um, as was well. a great book, right? Yeah, it was. And it kind of gets to your point of um, writing the same way that you talk. I mean, he keeps it very simple. And that's, I think, why his books are so good. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that simple is not the opposite of professional. It is not the opposite of intelligent. You can be simple. You can be funny. You can be unique. You can have short words, short sentences, and be very smart and be professional and be taken seriously. And I don't think people understand that. Yeah, I think that is definitely overestimated or underestimated. All right, we can wrap up here with a couple easy questions. Any bold predictions for kind of the next year in your business or just in general? I made a bet last this is this is totally maybe a little off topic. I made a bet last year. I felt like I made a, a $50 bet and I lost it. I predicted I felt like Donald Trump was going to pass away in office from natural <laughs> causes. I I think that's going to happen again in 2019. It's going to be the most stressful job on earth. That's my prediction for the for 19. What else do I think is going to happen? I think there's a lot of apps that are are being launched right now where you pay a monthly fee and get special um, features and new, a new email client. Have you heard of these things? No, I have not. They're superhuman. There's this new thing called Hey.com. My prediction, and uh, we can look back in a year. Uh, in one year, we can look back. I predict that those are going to be massive. So I'm really optimistic about those things. Any other businesses that I think are are that will be in 2019? Yeah, I'm really bullish on on companies that are going to re- replace Gmail and they're going to make money through subscription. I think those are just going to be the biggest thing ever. What are some examples of ones that are probably already out there that you think might replace Gmail? Because that is a bold prediction. I I don't see myself getting away from it, but I haven't seen better options. Superhuman. That's the name of one of them. All right. Hey.com. That's the name of another one. It hasn't launched yet, though. I, I really think those are just going to be the hottest thing going. Um, and I think they're going to be, I don't think it's going to be a fad. I think it's, it's going to stick. Um, I think that the direct to consumer companies, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think, um, I think we're going to see so many of them go out of business and die and crash. Why is that? Just because you think there's too many of them and not no, differentiated I, I, enough or? I think that there's not too many of them, but I think that most of the D to C culture tends to be uh, getting shitty products, wrapping them in really pretty artwork or pretty branding, 
and then being really, really good at selling those things on Facebook advertising or Instagram. And I think that that is not going to, the average consumer is going to be smart about it. It won't do that anymore. I also think that the average DFC company tends to want to be valued similar as a software company. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just totally inaccurate and unrealistic. And I think that it's going to come crashing down for a lot of people. And you think that's here in the next year or two? Yeah, I mean, it's already happening. It's not like I'm that smart. Like, look at Casper. Like, they raise money. Yeah, that's very true. I wonder what they're trading at today. But, um, like, Casper's uh, an example. But uh, I'm sure there's more. But uh, I just, I'm I'm pretty involved in that space. And I Mm -hmm. think that some of these people are absolutely crazy if they think they're going to (laughs) sell the company for five times revenue like they they would a, uh, like a, like a enterprise subscription. Yeah, sucks. What's been instrumental in your overall success and health? Is it working out? It may be moving to California, but I'd be interested to hear your take on that. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I was raised in Missouri, mm-hmm. and then I and then I lived in Tennessee, and I dropped out. I, I, I eventually got my degree, but I left school early and moved to California. That changed my life. Now, I I, I think that San Francisco has. I'm not like a. Pro, I'm not like totally pro San Francisco. There's a lot of downsides, but there's a lot of upsides. But for me personally, it changed my life. So that was probably the biggest thing. And the second thing was that it allowed me to, uh, like I have like, we have this little crew. It's like my five best friends. And uh, um, I, I we, we share uh, business together. We we go out to, we do, we, we're, I feel like we're family. And having uh, a, a, a group of, friends who are better than I am and are great people has really made a huge difference. It has allowed me to uh, just think at a high level because I'm trying to keep up with the people I care about. Um, I don't drink any alcohol, uh, so I haven't had any alcohol in about seven years. And that probably, I think I would be dead if I (laughs) didn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, those are all very good. Uh, Sam, I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, hopefully uh, your uh, listeners like it and uh, they got some value. Yeah, I definitely did. All right, thanks. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthy Conversations with Matt McGee. If you enjoyed the show and want to know more, check us out at hcwithmattmatt.com. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Matt McGee is an employee of Frost Insurance. All opinions shared by Matt or guests of the Healthy Conversations podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Frost Insurance or Frost Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for insurance, banking, or investment advice. Healthy Conversations is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.